Welcome back to Hidden Messages Podcast. Today we're going to talk about Disneyland. And this is kind of a sequel to an episode we did three years ago called We Imagineer. How could Disneyland be even more magical? And of course, since then, in the past three years, there's been a pandemic. There are ways in which we're starting to get a hold of things with some vaccine rollouts and just understanding a bit more about how coronavirus and its variants work, but we're not in the clear yet. That said, Disneyland was closed for well over a year, fully closed for well over a year. And during that time, they finished Avengers Campus in California Adventure. They canceled the annual pass program. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today is how could Disneyland improve their ticketing system. Now, of course, I actually would love for them to just keep the annual pass program, but they're not going to do that. And they've actually said specifically that they're going to replace it with some kind of frequent visitor program, but they haven't released details about that yet. I think the details are supposed to be released in July. I'm recording this at the end of June. So could be next week, could be 30 days from now, who knows. But I had some ideas for how they could do things. And I want to give a little bit of context here. So for those of you who don't go to Disneyland often or who have actually never even been to Disneyland, honestly, you may just want to skip this episode because it goes into sort of the nitty gritty of how Disneyland works and how the visitation and the crowds and the ticketing all work. I mean, maybe you're curious about that and you want to know, but FYI, that's what the content's going to be. So if you're kind of like, I don't care about that, then yeah, just skip this episode. But basically, you know, even though Disneyland has been a huge moneymaker in recent years, or maybe even ever since it opened. I don't know. I don't know the history that far back. But at least in recent years, in the last 10, 20 years, it's been a huge moneymaker. And the main problem it's had is not making money. The main problem it's had is controlling the crowds. So there are basically two main issues it has in terms of crowd control or crowd size. One of which is that the park, the original park, Disneyland, so there's two parks right now in California. There's Disneyland and there's California Adventure. They're right next to each other. Disneyland was built first in 1955. California Adventure was built later. I don't remember the exact year. I want to say it was like around the turn of the millennium. So like 2000 something or maybe late 90s. I forget the exact year. But when they originally opened Disneyland in 1955, they had no idea how crowded it would ever get. They didn't even know if the park would be successful or not. And of course, it was, you know, there were people attending, but it wasn't the, the level of crowd that you see now. And so a lot of the design of the Disneyland Park is around assuming that it's not going to be that crowded. So there are a lot of narrow passageways, particularly in Adventureland, when you're going past the Jungle Cruise and Indiana Jones. But even in other lands like Tomorrowland or Fantasyland, there's just these sort of very narrow passageways that just assume there aren't going to be that many people. And so, yeah, now there are tons of people who want to come to Disneyland. And they're also, even though they opened California Adventure later, and of course they knew at that time it would be crowded, so they have wider walkways, they also were kind of limited by the land that they actually owned and could get permits to do theme park stuff with. There's always this kind of like love-hate relationship between Anaheim, the city, and Disneyland, which is, you know, I mean, Disneyland brings in a lot of money, a lot of tourism dollars into Anaheim, has a lot of work opportunities for locals to be cast members, but it also creates a lot of noise. There's a lot of trash. There's a lot of fireworks. There's, you know, it's, it's always kind of like a mixed bag for people who live there locally. So 
They don't always love Disneyland, but they also kind of have to live with it. And they do benefit from it in some ways. But there's, yeah, there's just limited development space that, that Disneyland can use. And they recently, I think, got approved from Anaheim that they could expand the theme park into some of the parking lots they own. But of course, that expansion will take years, probably like 10 plus years to actually do. So in the meantime, they have the limited space that they have in Disneyland and California Adventure. And it's just not the amount, it's not nearly the amount of space they have in Disney World in Florida. But lots of people love to come to Disneyland. A lot of people in California don't want to fly all the way to Disney World every time they want to go to Disney Park or fly to Paris or fly to Tokyo or fly to Shanghai or fly to Hong Kong. Sometimes it's easier, you know, obviously if you're in Southern California, it's easier in LA or Orange County to just drive down, you know, could be 15 to 45 minutes with traffic, maybe even just a couple hours. But lots of folks, even in Northern California in the Bay Area, they'll drive down from around San Francisco, about a six to eight hour drive, depending on the traffic, stay in a hotel for a few days or an Airbnb and just hang out in the park. So there's a lot of demand. And, and that's just in California. There's people who drive from Nevada, Texas, lots of places or fly in who want to go because it's, even though it's smaller than a lot of the other Disney parks, it's the original Disney theme park. And there is a charm to it. There are some unique attractions there. That's just kind of describing the problem. The problem is there is a demand for Disneyland and it way outstrips the supply. Like they just cannot fit in the park physically the amount of people who want to be in the park. So what Disney has tried to do in recent years to address the crowd issue is because a lot of these people who come in are actually annual pass holders. What they're trying to do or what they've been trying to do is just increase the price of the annual pass, which used to be in the hundreds, then it started pouring into the thousands. I think the last annual pass, don't quote me on this, but I think it was about $1,300 or $1,400 a year, which to people who don't go to Disneyland often, that sounds like an obscene amount of money. Like what? $1,400? But if you are someone who goes often, it's actually kind of a bargain. So normally, and again, don't quote me on these exact numbers, but it's kind of a rough figure. Normally, if you go to Disneyland for just one park, so just Disneyland or just California Adventure, it's about, I think, around the area of like 120 or 150 bucks. And if you decide to get a park hopper where you can go to both parks in one day, it's about 200 bucks. So it's about the cost of visiting a park like, you know, I don't know, I can't really do the math, seven or eight times or something like that. And yeah, so if, if, you're, go if you're somebody who lives in Southern California, for example, and you go every weekend, which there were annual pass holders who would go every weekend, that's what we were trying to do when we moved to SoCal, is just go every weekend. And yeah, if you tally that up, like 50 weeks instead of 52, maybe there are a couple of weekends when you don't go, 50 weeks times 100 something, 100 plus, but let's just say 100 for round numbers. You know, that's like 50 times 100. That's like five, wait, 50 times 10 is 500, 50 times 500. So it's like $5,000, right? So that's even more obscene, right? $5,000. And that's just if you're just going one day every week, right? And that's $5,000 compared to like $1,400. So even though they kept jacking up the prices and even though the prices were really expensive to somebody who doesn't go very often, for someone who does go often, $1,400 is kind of a bargain. And 
Toward the tail end of the annual pass program, they even had a monthly payment option so that if you didn't have $1,400 that you could just shell out right away, you could make monthly payments and there was no interest charge. So it wasn't like buying it with the credit card. It was like you just literally took the $1,400 and divided it up by 12 and then made that monthly payment. So how did that affect crowds? Well, according to Disney, I don't know. They, they in, I think similarly to how the city of Anaheim had sort of a love-hate relationship with Disneyland, Disney itself has kind of a love-hate relationship with its annual pass holders because the annual pass holders buy merchandise, they visit the parks, they generate a lot of enthusiasm, give tips to other people who are visiting the parks. You know, there's kind of a drum of fandom enthusiasm that annual pass holders bring to the parks, but they also bring crowds. Like if annual pass holders are coming eight to 50 times a year, that's a lot of people coming all the time. So they did away this year you know, after reopening during the pandemic with the annual pass, and they're going to try to propose some kind of special frequent visitor program. And I don't know what that frequent visitor program looks like, but I will say one thing that makes me a little bit sad about the annual pass program going away isn't just that it was a relative bargain, right? That you could pay $1,400 and go whenever you want. It was that you could go whenever you wanted. Like that if you buy a park ticket for the whole day, you are kind of committed to going for the whole day. I mean, you're not really committed, but like, you know, it, it's silly to buy a park pass for the entire day and then just be there for a few hours. But if you have an annual pass where you can go in any time, you literally could just go in for like three hours, right? So you could just come in for the morning, do like one or two rides and then leave. Or you could come in in the evening, eat dinner, maybe see the fireworks and leave. And a lot of annual pass holders did that. So they were in some sense contributing to the crowds because obviously they were there. But they also weren't there the entire day, all the time. And that was kind of the fun of it. There was this thing, and I highly doubt this is going to continue after after they get rid of the annual pass program. There was this thing, I think it was on Saturday night, I want to say it was either Friday night or Saturday night. I want to say it was Saturday night, where people would do swing dancing. Local people would do swing dancing in the little theater where they would have the Tangled and Beauty and the Beast shows. And who's going to do that now? You're going to pay for a whole day ticket every week to go on Saturday night to swing dance there. Nobody's going to do that. So it kind of changes a bit of the culture because nothing's spontaneous anymore. You have to really plan ahead and make a reservation and buy a full day ticket. So this leads me to think about like what can they implement as a frequent visitor program? There are several ways that they could do this, right? So one could be some kind of like bulk discount, right? That essentially, if you buy, I don't know what it is, 10, 15 single day tickets, then every ticket after that you buy is cheaper. Like you get maybe a, I don't know, 10%, 20% discount on every ticket you buy after that. Another way they could do it is they could say, instead of like being theoretically unlimited, they could just make it so that you pay some price and you can go many times, maybe not as many times as you want, but many times, like you could just say, we're going to charge you $2,000 and you can visit the park 35 times a year. And you have to make a reservation. You can't just show up whenever you want, but you can visit 35 times a year, which is a lot of times. Or they could say it's virtually unlimited, but it's kind of limited by reservations and you can hold only three reservations at a time. So you can't just book up the entire year and just say like every weekend I'm going. And maybe their booking system gives preference to people who are not annual pass holders or people who don't already have a reservation. So it's kind of hard to tell what direction they're going to go. I think the other thing that's kind of up in the air is, well, do you have to pay for parking every time? Do you get a discount on merchandise and food? 
I have a suspicion they're probably going to have something where you pay some kind of lump sum and it includes parking and some kind of food and merch discount. But I don't know what that's going to look like. What I will say, though, which I don't think is necessarily going to happen, but I'm just throwing it out here preemptively that this is an idea that Disney can do, is they could explore partial day tickets. Because recently we went into the parks, and or one park actually, and we spent the entire day there. We were there from opening to closing. And granted, the hours are slightly shorter than they used to be, but we were there 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And it was a lot of fun, but it was kind of exhausting, honestly. And that's not typically what we've done in the past. So when we lived in Southern California, we would just go in for a few hours, come home. When we lived in Northern California, we'd usually book a hotel, go in for the morning, take an afternoon nap in the hotel, and then come back and stay until closing. But staying from opening to closing, that's just a lot. And you saw exhausted people, exhausted children. It was just, the idea of staying the whole day, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, it's not like it can't be done. Again, we did it, but it's not, it shouldn't be a typical way to visit the park. So if Disney's trying to contend with crowds, I think it's fine to sell an all-day ticket, but I think what they should start exploring are partial day tickets. Now, one of the challenges you can face with a partial day ticket is how do you kick people out? So what they used to do for special events, like they had special like Mickey Halloween events or whatever that happened in the evening is you'd, you'd get a little sort of wristband. And then at a certain time, anyone who didn't have a wristband, they essentially kind of chase you out of the park. I don't think that's sustainable because that's just a lot of work to put cast members through to chase people out of the park every day. But what they could do, and hear me out, and I know there's some cons to this, obviously, but what they could do is they could essentially have and I'm just throwing numbers out here. Obviously, this is tweakable. But they could essentially have like a full day ticket. So let's say it's like 150 bucks full day ticket. Then they could have an after 4 p.m. ticket or 3.30. I don't know. You can just pick some arbitrary time. But you say like it's like the late afternoon, evening, night ticket, right? So if you enter the park after 4, then you only pay, I don't know, 75 bucks. Right? And again, these numbers could fluctuate. They could try to figure out what that works, right? So then somebody says, oh, I don't want to spend the whole 150 but I still want to go. And it'd be cool to stay at night. They can come in after four and just spend 75 bucks. And then you could also have a morning ticket. And this is where it gets a little tricky because, again, if you're not kicking people out of the park, theoretically, they could just stay the whole day. So I think what you would probably do is instead of having the price of 150 to 75 as you would for the for the um evening night ticket, you would essentially just give a slight discount on the full day ticket. So you'd say something like, okay, so $150 if you want to stay the whole day, $75 if you come in in the evening and night. But then you would say it's only $115 or $100, or I don't know what it is. You pick a number. Again, it, it can be tweakable. But it's it's less than a full day ticket. It's more than a evening night ticket. And then say, if you get one of these partial day early morning tickets, you cannot re-enter the park after noon, right? Now hear me out. This is how this works logistically, my proposal, right? So if you say you pay less than a full day ticket, but not as cheap as the latter half of the day, say like 100 bucks or 115 bucks instead of 150 or 75, you cannot enter or re-enter the park after noon. What that means is you are definitely coming in the morning. It means that theoretically, no one's going to kick you out of the park. So if you are just one of those people who's just super obsessed with getting your money's worth and you don't care about your body being tired or 
your mind being exhausted or whatever it is. Yeah, in theory, you could, quote, take advantage of the system by getting the partial day ticket, staying there from the morning all the way until the park closes. But from what I've seen, most people are exhausted. They want to leave. Like, it actually isn't sustainable for a lot of people to stay the entire day. So, yeah, there will be, obviously, a small percentage of people who think, ha, 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 I got a bargain, and they will buy a partial day ticket and then stay the entire time. But they'll be exhausted. Most people, especially who have small children, but even adults, they don't want to spend 12, 13, 14 hours in the park, right? So if they get that partial day ticket, they can stay as long as they can, right? So, and but they have to enter before noon or re-enter before noon. So they could get in at eight, they could even leave the park at 10, come back before noon. But then once they leave again, they come, can't come back in because it's afternoon, right? So then what this is trying to address is like a, a typical scenario of like you come in in the early morning, you do all the morning rides and eat breakfast and stuff. And then you eat lunch and maybe you do one or two things, but then after that you kind of leave, right? Maybe you're tired or maybe you even stay until 3 or 4 p.m. But at a certain point, you're just kind of like, eh, I'm tired and you leave. So you're far more likely, I think, to stay longer than somebody comes in after four, but you're not likely to stay the entire time, even though theoretically you could. So I think that's something they could do to lessen the crowds a bit and make everybody happy, right? And also still actually make a lot of money because if you get a morning person and an evening person both coming in and not taking up the same amount of space, you're still making more money than if on one person paying for a full day pass, right? So like $75 plus 115 is still more than 150. Of course, there might be some overlap, but yeah, for the most part, if you come in at eight in the morning, you're probably going to stay, you're, you're probably not going to stay past 4 p.m. For the most part, you're going to be pretty tired. Now, you could make the case that, well, you know, what if somebody comes in later, right? They don't come in at 8 a.m. They come in at 11 before noon, and then they stay until park closing. Well, then they're still paying for a partial day ticket, and they're still going to be exhausted, and still their pass, their so their their ticket will cost more than if they just paid for the 4 p.m. and beyond ticket. So I'm just throwing out all these ideas. Disney's not listening to me. But I'm just putting it out there. This is an idea of what they could do to lessen crowds. I also think, yeah, it'd be great if they brought the annual pass program back, but it sounds like they're not going to. So, yeah, that's just a long rant about the annual pass, the crowds, and what Disney can do. We'll see what happens next month.